We're all familiar with the children's fairy tale about an old woman who lives in a shoe. Well, we couldn't find anyone who really lives in a shoe, or a sneaker, or a boot, for that matter. But nonetheless, we did find some people who live in pretty unique places. Good morning. I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape. This morning, we're taking a look at housing that makes you go, hmm. From a houseboat in the Bronx to New York City's only mobile home park to an abode in the treetops. I have a multi-level treehouse in California that I retire to. Non-traditional living space in New York City and beyond. This morning on Cityscape, right here on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Glad you're with us. If you don't find bricks and mortar appealing, you might want to try living on a houseboat. Dennis Lynch has been doing that for four decades. He currently resides on a creek in the Bronx. He recently took me aboard his house. Ahoy, we're coming aboard. Stepping in. My name is Dennis Lynch. We're at Commerce Avenue at the Boat Basin, living on a boat. Now you refer to yourself as Captain Dennis, of course. Captain Dennis, yes. Describe the scene for us here. Water, land, trees, geese in the lake, and a lot of swans come by, about three of them, and they had babies a year before last. A pretty non-traditional place to live in the Bronx. Absolutely. How long have you been living on a houseboat? I started living on the houseboat back in the 60s. And what prompted you to do that? Actually, my friend was going to buy a boat, and then he decided not to, and then I bought it. So is this that boat? This is about 30 boats later, (laughs) about $7 million later in problems. (laughs) So a lot of maintenance on a houseboat. Uh, Well, you get where you have to have maintenance, yes. But this is a fiberglass boat. I recommend anybody buy a fiberglass boat, not a wooden boat. I used to buy wooden boats, but that was endless. Even though I was a carpenter, it was um, very expensive. And they have a tendency to sink. You don't want that that to happen. (laughs) No. (laughs) No sinking boats, please. So you had a boat sink? I've had two or three boats sink, yes. Wow. Were you on them at the time? No, I wasn't on them at the time, fortunately. But you lost all of your belongings? Sometimes I lost my belongings, yes. Wow. I would imagine you'd have to have some nice insurance when you live on a houseboat. Um, it helps. Did you design this boat yourself or build it yourself? Actually, it was designed by Sundance. I put on the, the room we're in now, which has 22 sliding glass doors. And I put the room on the back, which used to be just a porch, and it has 10 sliding glass doors and a glass roof. I know you're also a tango dancer and a tango instructor. You can tango out there, huh? We can tango on any deck. So tell us more about this boat and how many rooms there are and about the kitchen, all of that stuff. The galley, I'm in the stained glass business, and I put um, all of the cabinets in stained glass. When you light them, it's Grape Arbor in the Sunset. The bathroom is a regular-sized bathroom like you'd find in a house. The house barge, if it was on land, would look like a house. I have uh, a 10-foot round window, two 7-foot cathedral windows. It has three levels. On the bottom, it has two bedrooms and a bath. On the second level, it has a big bedroom, and then a small bedroom. On the top is my bedroom. Does it take a certain person to live on a houseboat, do you think? Well, it's a little different. I would say you have to be adventurous is the best way to put it. 
But as long as everything's maintained, it's pretty easy life. I would think that you also save on property taxes. Am I right there? Oh, you don't save. You just don't pay. <laughs> no tax at all. Not yet. That's why the city doesn't like houseboats is because they're not making any money on us. So one big plus right there. Yeah, that's a plus. But they're trying to get us out. But I don't know if they really can because the sea laws are so old that you can't keep anybody from living on their boat. What are the other benefits of living on a houseboat? Well, I rent a couple of the rooms out, so that creates an income, which pays for other things like maintenance. You don't have to have a co-op and have everybody tell you what you can do and when you can't do it and all those things. And you can always move your boat if you want to, to another state, to another place. So you're not really stuck to anything. How did you decide upon this spot in the Bronx? Actually, it was a forced play. <laughs> I moved it out to um, City Island, but uh, the big winds came up, and I was right out in the open, and I'm very high. I just had to find a more protected place because of the extra room I put on top. You are right down the stream here from the Whitestone Multiplex the movie theater. Yeah, you can actually take our kayak and kayak to the movie theater and pull up and back and tie it up and go see the movie and then take a moonlight ride back. Pretty nice. Pretty nice. What water body is this, in fact? This is Westchester Creek. It's actually about 50 yards wide. And you can actually see the hutch across um, maybe 100 yards away as the hutch. But yet it's still pretty quiet. You don't hear the traffic too much. Yeah, the traffic sort of sounds like ocean waves. Which is nice on a houseboat. Yeah, that's very nice on a houseboat, as long as you don't have to rock. <laughs> Does this creek move you at all? No, the boat is a flat bottom boat, so it doesn't rock. If the wind blows a little bit, it may move to the side three or four inches. You know, that's about it. You might get an illusion of moving. Could cradle you to sleep. It could cradle you to sleep anytime. Now, describe for me some of the other things that you're able to do living on a houseboat. Can you fish from your bedroom window? You can toss a line out anytime you want. Captain Dennis advertises his rooms for rent on Craigslist. That's how Marcus David found out about it. I moved in in the winter, and I watched the seasons come and uh, watched uh, the whole scenery change. It's uh, been pretty interesting. Uh, some storms, you know, it's a place where you're never, it's not solid. In a way, you're moving around, and it's really good for uh, sleeping dreams, and there's always a lot of work to do. Is this your first time living on a houseboat? First time on a houseboat. I uh, worked on a yacht before. What drew you to this houseboat? Why did you want to live on a houseboat? Uh, just something different. I'd been in Europe and seen people living on houseboats, and so I thought I'd lived in the city, so I wanted a little bit of change. And so I just uh, saw it on the Craigslist and said, hey, let's try it. Where else have you lived in New York City? Uh, I've lived up by Columbia University. I live down in Chelsea. This is the first time living in the Bronx. Apartment living in those areas? Yes, apartment living. Are people surprised when you tell them you live on a houseboat in the Bronx? Yes. First, they don't think there are any houseboats in, in New York at all. And then they're surprised that I'm out in the Bronx and that there's even a waterway here. Most people don't even know when I try to tell them. And I, I tell them about the uh, expressway here. And then they say, oh, yeah, I've seen some water. You do have neighbors, though. There are other people yeah, living on we, houseboats. we've already had some uh, social parties. So it sounds like you would recommend this kind of living. Yeah, I'm surprised. I think there should be more houseboats. I mean, there's a lot of waterways. 
And when I do mention it to friends, they're all saying, you know, it's like, it is strange. There should be a lot more houseboats. Houseboat living in the Bronx. If you're interested in giving it a try, Captain Dennis has a room available. You can give him a call at 917-653-0654. From living on the water to residing in the treetops, Jonathan Fairoaks lives above it all in Dobbins, California. In the wintertime, I have a multi-level treehouse in California that I retire to. A multi-level treehouse? Yes. How many levels? At least four. I'm working on the fifth one. That's pretty astounding. I enjoy it. How big is this thing? I mean, in terms of square footage. It's about 1,800 square feet. How long did it take you to build? And obviously you're continuing to build this thing. I started in 1978. And I've been building it ever since. Wow. What does it look like? It has, let's see, one, two, three sets of stairs. The first set of stairs goes up to a small landing. The second set of stairs go up to a much larger landing. That's sort of the reception area where we have our gatherings. And then the third set of stairs go up to the main room, which is a large living area. And then there is a loft above that with a ship's ladder going up to it. How many bedrooms? One big bedroom. And how many baths? One small bathroom. How does the plumbing work? Very easily. We run the water up the tree, and then we have another pipe that runs it back down again. How high in the tree are you? At the highest point, probably about 65 feet. Hmm. What kind of tree is this? It's a large black oak. It's also supported by a spruce tree and three large posts. How long did it take you to find the perfect tree? I think I ended up spending about six months searching before I found the property. And then once I was on the property, uh, I went right to the tree. It was no problem. I knew the tree when I saw it. A lot of work involved in making sure that it can support a house like this? Back then it was trial and error, yes. How do you get up to your house? Originally, I just had uh, two-by-fours screwed into the tree, and it was sort of a little spiral ladder type of affair. And uh, since then, we've built actual staircases. I also have an elevator that's operated by a 12-volt automotive winch. An elevator that goes up to a treehouse? Mostly use it for bringing up firewood or for people that want to try it. Yeah, I was going to say, I would imagine that grocery shopping could be problematic or no? Oh, it's not so bad. Not so bad. I can carry a couple handfuls of bags upstairs each time. What about getting furniture up there? How'd you go about doing that when you moved in? I used the winch. The winch comes up to a another little landing that's on the other side of the house. What are the benefits of living in a tree? We're closer to heaven. <laughs> and what else? Beautiful view of the two streams and the lake that we built. And I think what I verified is that uh, the higher people people's feet leave the ground, the more that their psychology changes. It's fun to watch people when they come over and visit. How do they change? I think they become more in their essence. That They let a lot of their personality back down on the ground and become who they really are. Hmm. Can't be afraid of heights when you live in a treehouse. Well, you can, but it doesn't help. <laughs> How many people live in your treehouse, you and who else? Well, I guess over the years I've probably had five or six different people that have lived in it or around it. I have a friend of mine staying out there now while I'm not there. So it's well attended. What about electricity? Do you have electricity? Solar. Solar. 
Oh, yes. So that powers everything? Oh, everything I need. Refrigerator and all? The refrigerator's propane. Okay. But it powers my stereo, and I have a little uh, television. If I, I don't really have good reception, but I can watch a VCR or a video, and that suits me just fine. So an environmentally friendly home as well? Oh, it is. Yes, I'm putting in an, a hydroelectric system that's almost completed. Do you have concerns during storms? You know, Jonathan, trees get struck by lightning. They do, yes, although the East Coast is much more prone to lightning damage than the West Coast. So I'm not as concerned. And also, I'm not on the top of the hill. I'm about halfway up the hill. So when the storms roll through, it's usually the mountaintops that receive the brunt of it. Do you have any neighbors? I do, but not for a couple miles. And they're on the ground? They are all on the ground, yes. Jonathan Fair Oaks, thanks so much for sharing life in a treehouse with us. All right, my pleasure. Jonathan Fair Oaks lives in a treehouse in Northern California. This is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm George Boldarki. In the woods there grew a tree, and a fine, fine tree was he. This morning, we're exploring non-traditional living quarters. You'd expect to find mobile home parks in rural America. But did you know there's one in New York City? It's next to the Gothels Bridge on Staten Island. The park is home to 128 well-maintained homes. I recently paid a visit to the complex and chatted with some of its residents. My name is Patricia Meyer. We are presently at a mobile home park on Staten Island in New York City. I'm sure not many people know that there is a mobile home park in New York City. I doubt it. You'd have to be traveling across Staten Island to the Gothels Bridge. Then you'd see it. So tell me about this place. I have, of course, a kitchen, living room, two bedrooms, bathroom. Nice and warm in the wintertime, thank God. Pretty cool, except for these 100-degree days. For the most part, it's very comfortable. I have no immediate neighbors. Each neighbor is a good about 20 feet away. And I do whatever I feel like doing inside my own home. There's a plane flying overhead, so you, though, are under a flight path to Newark Airport. That's correct. They don't bother me, though. Once you're inside the house, you don't hear it. You're also near the highway. Is that a problem? No. As I said, once you're inside, you don't hear it. You mentioned that you can do what you want inside your home, so you don't have to deal with rules of a co-op or a condo? We have, of course, certain rules that we have to adhere to. Like everywhere in the world, we are responsible entirely for our own home. We own the mobile home that we're living in. We're responsible for cleaning the snow off our own driveway on our own sidewalk, cutting our own grass. Thank God I have a wonderful neighbor who takes care of my grass for me. And other than that, as long as we keep our place neat and clean, nobody tells us what to do. What about costs? If you own your own home, your own mobile home, you are responsible to pay the monthly rent of the land that your home is set on. We have to pay our own gas, electric. You'd pay that anywhere. And the monthly fee at this present time is $485. And I don't think that's a lot of money to pay for your own private dwelling. Do you think that mobile home parks get a bum rap? Absolutely. If you drive around this particular mobile home, you're going to find everything is pretty neat and clean. You won't find too many homes in 
disrepair mobile home parks. I used to being called trailer parks, but this is really not a trailer park. Very well maintained by the residents themselves. So I have no complaints. There's that unfortunate saying of trailer trash, which I'm sure you're aware of. Drive around here. You're not going to see too much of that. My name is Pete Ortiz from Staten Island, New York. My name is Lillian Ortiz. And you live here in this mobile home park, the only mobile home park in New York City. How long have you been here? 15 years. What's it like here? It's nice. It's quiet. Real quiet. And beautiful, actually. And everybody just works and come we home, all help actually. Each other out. That's what we do. We all help each other out. We can treat you. There's a lot of old people that we love it and we get along with each other. Where are you folks from originally? Brooklyn. Bay Ridge. You're from Bay Ridge, so what brought you out here? Change the place. Change the place and move out to Staten Island. This is the only place we could afford, actually, but it's nice here. So you have the opportunity to own your own home, where in Brooklyn you may not have had that opportunity. Yeah, that's true. But all of these are homeowners. We are all homeowners here. Everybody owns their own trailer, and the property that's still theirs, we just bought the trailer from them. But we can move it whatever we want. If we buy land from somewhere else, we can move our trailer. It's like move a movable home. How much space do you have? Um, three bedrooms, big living room, kitchen, bathroom, driveway, yard. It's nice. And from what I understand, your monthly expense is only about $450 as far as maintenance is concerned. Yeah, that's true. You won't get that in most co-ops no and way. condos in no New York way. City. Why? it's 1800 1900 2000 It's a lot of rent up there, so over here it's cheaper than out there. And you live more comfortable and more safe. We don't have no complaints here. It's a real safe area, actually. We all watch out for each other. That's what we do. We all share. We help each other and we take care of our kids. Whoever's kids out here, we watch each other. That's what we do. And pretty convenient to mass transit. From what I understand, you have a bus stop right outside. Yeah, right outside. We have Home Depot, Movie, Kohl's. The grocery store is around a mile down, but it's still convenient. Everything's so convenient here. The highway's right there. Also, just jump on it when I would leave. This is like the most beautiful place in New York, I could say, actually. Let me ask you, do you at all have to fight off the stigma of living in a mobile home park? Often people call them trailer parks. Do you have to fight that stigma at all as it exists? No, we don't have that problem. The old days when they used to call it um, uh, trailer trailer homes. Trailer trash, something like that. Working people, everybody here works, actually. And um, everybody, they just live peacefully here, peace and quiet. And you have grass, and you have flowers. We have, grass. We have, we have flowers, job, grass, and we cut it ourselves. We don't let nobody do it for us. We do it ourselves. I mean, the old people, we do it for them, you know, our sometimes. Yard, our yard is bigger than some of the yards people got that they pay three, dollars $400,000 for their homes. Because our yard is kind of big. It goes all the way around. <laughs> I see in homes, they don't even have a yard or a driveway. They don't, and they spend a lot of money on their houses. You just raised another important point, I guess, about living here. You have a parking space. You don't have to circle and circle no. alternate side of the street. Not an issue for you folks. No, you don't have to park it and get a ticket. Wow, Over here, we just park it, and that's it, because it's ours. in New York, I used to go park the car. I could come home at 11, 12 at night. It used to take me an hour to find a parking space. And Bay Parkway in 86th Street right there. I could not find a parking space for none. Now I just pull right in, and it's great. My name is Karen Freo. I'm from Staten Island, New York. Okay, Karen, how long have you been here in the mobile home park? I've lived here seven years. And where are you from originally? Staten Island all my life. Where in Staten Island? Far from here or no? Great Kills. And how far is that from here? Uh, about seven, eight miles. And what was living like there compared to here? 
much, much different. How so? Uh, we lived on our own home in uh, Great Kills, a beautiful home. And then we just had my father passed away. And uh, my husband passed away a couple of years ago. And this is where we ended up. <laughs> but still in your own home. Oh, yes, it is my own home, I have to say. But we don't own the land, though. That's the problem. Why is that a problem? Well, we have to give them almost $500 a month. And that's not including anything, you know? But you get trash pickup and things like that for that yeah, money? That's it. That's all we get is the trash pickup. We do our own lawns and all. But here in New York City, $500 a month can only stretch it so far. I mean, an apartment for $500 a month, hard to find anything for that price. No, I agree with you there. You, you're right. And you can do, they don't bother you much, you know? You can have an animal. And it's like your own yard. You have a porch with patio furniture. Yes, I do. <laughs> and we're sitting here next to your barbecue. <laughs> yes. Yeah, luxuries of home, I guess, right? Those are nice things to have in New York City. Yes, I guess, and if you can't afford a great, big, luxurious home, this is the way to go. How much space do you have inside? Oh, I have a big one. I have 70 foot. That's a pretty nice size. Yes, I have two bedrooms, two full-size bathrooms, large living room, uh, island kitchen. It's very nice. Central air, which is very important these days. But um, seven years ago, do you want to know how much I paid? Sure. Tell me how much Um, you paid. I bought it for 70000 and uh, it was only like uh, eight years old at the time when I bought it. So it was, it, this one happens to be the newest one in here. And um, so I really did do a good score because just one got sold the other day for 110000 down the street. That's yes. a nice return if you wanted to sell yes. today. Yes, it is. Not bad, right? But still very affordable for a two-bedroom, $110,000. But we're not in the best of area. That's the problem. What kinds of problems do you have here? Oh, God, the truckers. Can't get out. My daughters, that one works in New York City, the other on Staten Island. It's really bad. Like, they block, you know, they keep it all blocked up because they have the waste station down here, you know. And uh, it's really terrible with the truckers. Usually on, like, a Friday and a Monday, they're all rushing, you know, to get weighed in. But it's really bad, and they block them. You can't get out. It's impossible to get, get out. And it's dangerous besides that. When I came up to you and said I wanted to talk about the mobile home park, you said to me, just please don't use the word trailer. Yes, because everyone says trailer park trash, and these are not. You know, I mean, if you call up where we live, it says prefabbed homes. They don't say trailers. You know, and it's really nice. It's, I mean, I mind my own business, and everybody's friendly. You know, it's, I mean, it's not bad at all. Like you said, you can't afford much else. You know, you're on Social Security. You can't afford too much these days. So so overall, you're happy with your decision? Yes. My, my girls aren't, but I am. Why aren't they? They don't like to bring anybody around. <laughs> Is it because of the stigma we just talked about? Yes, yes, yes. They'll kill me if they hear me saying it now. <clears throat> yeah. That's unfortunate. Yes. They don't bring nobody home or anything. And how old are they? One is 29, the other's 21. Does that make you sad? No. No, they have their own new car, so they're happy. 
Do you think most New Yorkers would be surprised to learn that there's a mobile home park in New York City? Oh, yes, very much so. In fact, I know Staten Islanders that don't know that this exists. Residents of New York City's only mobile home park. The so-called Gothels community is on Staten Island. I saw some up for sale while I was out there, so if you're in the market, you might want to check them out. Mobile homes are an example of prefabricated dwellings, but a new exhibit set to open next month in Manhattan takes prefab to another level. The Museum of Modern Art is preparing to showcase five full-scale prefabricated houses in a vacant lot on West 53rd Street adjacent to the museum. I visited the site and spoke to MoMA's chief curator of architecture and design, Barry Bergdahl. Barry, this is not your typical construction site in New York City by any means. In every way. One doesn't expect to see uh, single-family houses, experimental houses on a on a lot in Midtown, squeezed between uh, skyscrapers, on a uh, lot that might in the next couple of years have one of the tallest buildings in New York on it. One doesn't expect to see uh, experimental architects, uh, their helpers, people from their office, scrambling around trying to get houses up in a, in a matter of days. We expect to live with construction for months, but we are demonstrating true to the title of our show that we can deliver architecture rather than necessarily make it on, uh, on the spot. The title of the show is Home Delivery, Fabricating the Modern Dwelling. The idea is really that just as you might, it's a little bit of an exaggeration, but just as you might dial in for a pizza, uh, you might dial in for a house. It's been a dream since the early 20th century when the first Ford automobile rolled off the assembly line. Architects began to say, uh, why do people uh, think that a car that's made on an assembly line is a superior product to a handcrafted carriage of some sort? Uh, but yet the idea that every single house, no matter how much alike they look in, in the suburbs, uh, should be handmade uh, by an itinerant group of uh, builders has been maintained despite the fact that uh, factories are equipped to design whole buildings or building components that can often have uh, tighter construction controls and, uh, and, and quality controls. And now with computers that have allowed the new buzzword of mass customization to come in, that might be as customizable uh, as all sorts of other factory uh, products. So prefabricated homes don't necessarily have to be cookie cutters? Absolutely not, uh, although laser cutting has changed the name of cookie cutters, but just like a, uh, a batch of cookies with a huge set of uh, cutters could produce infinite variations, uh, the two houses that are already uh, viewable on site, both are laser cut, uh, and both come from a computer program into which one could enter a whole series of other variables. When a lot of people hear the term prefab, they immediately think cheap. You're trying to change that thought, right? It depends on whether you mean cheap in the derogatory sense of, uh, uh, of poorly made. We're showing, first of all, that uh, we can bring factory standards to the fabrication of dwelling, the subtitle of the show. These are prototypes. Uh, they've been expensive to produce. Uh, but all of the architects have done careful studies with the manufacturers, the people who are making them, and they know that with sufficient orders that each one of these houses could be uh, brought down to a price that at least rivals, or in, in some cases, particularly the house for New Orleans, uh, could really undercut uh, incredibly a so-called stick-built house. One of the architects here building homes for New Orleans. We have a, a team from MIT, uh, so they are bringing a, a house that I think... Uh, would appeal to anybody with nostalgia for what New Orleans used to look like, except that this house is not cut by carpenters, 
but is cut by a laser cutter run from a computer. Uh, the laser cutter could either be uh, at a factory anywhere or it could actually be moved to the site. The house will be assembled uh, by a team of about three or four people using rubber mallets. It's got uh, connectors uh, that are themselves laser cut pieces of wood and the whole thing fits together like an enormous puzzle with no nails uh, and uh, you don't need to go to the gym for you know for six months to prepare yourself you just need to drive these rubber mallets for a couple of days and you've, you've got a house. It has incredible potential. So essentially a family can build their own home all by themselves easily. Yeah, a, a family almost anywhere. I mean you can imagine this means that the computer know-how that comes out of MIT, one of the great technology powerhouses and research powerhouses of the world, could be providing the forms for a house that could be constructed almost anywhere, in India, uh, in China, in sub-Saharan Africa, uh, in New Orleans, where this one is intended for. But it's really um, a system about technology transfer that's very exciting. What do you think the feasibility is, Barry, of seeing these homes as part of our landscape here in the city? I could imagine... Uh, without any modification, the Kieran Timberlake Cellophane House, which is really a three-story urban townhouse with a, um, a living deck on top uh, in any place in the five boroughs in a grid system. I think it could work brilliantly for New York. It's a, uh, you would obviously change its level of transparency. I mean, people are going to see it as a kind of glass house and say, I couldn't live here. But every one of those panels can be made opaque, uh, adjusted to sight, adjusted to sunlight, adjusted to condition. Uh, it's a perfect uh, urban dwelling. Barry, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. The exhibition, Home Delivery, Fabricating the Modern Dwelling, opens July 20th in a vacant lot next to the Museum of Modern Art on West 53rd Street in Manhattan. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. If you're looking for a new place to live, we hope we've given you some fresh ideas this morning. I'm George Bodarki. My thanks to producer Rashida Winfield. Have a great weekend. Things that make you go, hmm.